This is the God in All Things podcast, rooted in Ignatian spirituality and seeking the presence of God in the everyday. Busy and restless easily describes a typical week for me. As a new father of an infant and a full-time high school teacher, I'm quite aware of the decline in my prayer life. The days of hour-long prayer periods carved out in the Jesuit novitiate schedule are long gone. The free evenings of bachelor life are past, and the moments my wife and I can go into separate rooms for our own prayer are hard to come by with a new baby. This is why I needed to read Becky Eldridge's new book, Busy Lives and Restless Souls, which is released in March through Loyola Press. Becky is a friend and Ignatian's spiritual director. She's far ahead of me in the parenting journey with three children, which is why I value the experiences and stories she shares in her writing. Becky has struggled with the busyness and restless feeling life brings us all, whether or not we are parents. If there's something that's given me the spark to reinvigorate my prayer life, to be a busy prayer, it's Becky's book. Like the unfolding of one's spiritual life, her book unfolds naturally as one acknowledges their restlessness, moves into a deeper identity of Christian life, awakens to God's love, and, amid struggles and joys, discovers the life-changing power of prayer. In fact, throughout the book, Becky is very clear that if one does not want to change, then one should not pray. Prayer changes your life. It's risky. She writes, There are consequences to creating space for prayer in your life. If you are looking to keep your life the way it is, then please, don't pray. If you want to stay the person you currently are, then I suggest not making time for prayer in your daily life. Because here's the reality. If you intentionally show up every day in prayer to be with God, your life is going to change. And guess what else? You are going to change. Becky took that risk on a busy person's retreat in college, where she discovered the life-changing gift of praying with scripture. From that moment on, Becky realized that she could find God in the thin spaces, that she could pray and encounter God while changing diapers or cooking dinner. Within all of us, she says, is an interior chapel where we have access to God. And that encounter with God comes in many forms. Becky uses the stories from her daily life to bring to life various prayer methods. For her, the examine is central to her spiritual life. She explains how the examine has helped her to find God in all things, how it helped her become aware of her need for God's mercy, and how it helps us in discernment. We must bring to God in prayer all the parts of us, even the broken parts. Busy Lives and Restless Souls truly reveals in one person's story the joy of the faith and how prayer inflames it. Becky's background in spiritual direction and giving retreats helps her know the spiritual facets and nuances of different people. She speaks words that are bound to resonate with all of us, opening up the reader to a deeper self-awareness. Each chapter contains practical steps one can take to pray and ends with some relevant reflection questions. This book isn't meant to be rushed through, but meditated on and applied to your life. It's a call for busy people everywhere to find rest in God through prayer. I always tell my students that prayer should be easy because God is never far. Prayer can be a blessed moment of awareness or gratitude 
or a word of praise. Becky understands this, and this is the message of her book. You can find a link to purchase Becky's book at the post that companions this podcast at GodInAllThings.com. Last year, I had the privilege of having a conversation with Becky on this podcast. Keep listening because my interview with her follows in a moment. But I first want to let you know that beginning March 6th, for the four weeks leading up to the launch of my book, I'll be sharing brief excerpts from the text, and I'll also offer you a promo code for a discount on your pre-order. God Moments, Unexpected Encounters in the Ordinary is released April 7th, but pre-orders are already being taken. But be sure to listen to this podcast starting March 6th to learn more about God Moments. In the meantime, you can learn about the book by clicking the image of its cover at GodInAllThings.com. Now, my interview with Becky. Where else in life do you get a chance to deeply share about your prayer life, you know, and really have somebody whose sole purpose is to help you grow in God? I mean, that's, I mean, that's amazing, you know? I mean, that has been the gift of a spiritual director in my life. This is the God in All Things podcast, rooted in Ignatian spirituality and seeking the presence of God in the everyday. Here's Andy Otto. Today's podcast is a special interview with Becky Eldridge, a friend and Ignatian colleague of mine. Becky is a spiritual director and spiritual writer who has worked for over 15 years ministering in the church, much of that time to young adults. Formed and educated with Jesuit principles, Becky lives her life as a wife, mother, and minister from an Ignatian perspective. She has worked in adult faith formation for the Diocese of Baton Rouge, where she's originally from, and spent a few years with Caris Ministries, a Chicago-based organization that offers Ignatian retreats for young adults all over the country. Becky lives in Dallas, Texas with her husband Chris and their three kids. She writes with me on the loyalopress.magis blog, and she's currently working on a book on Ignatian prayer. Thank you for joining us, Becky. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Andy. Okay, so you you have uh, you've done a lot of work in the past um, with young adults. You've done some work with Caris Ministries, which puts on um, Ignatian retreats for young adults. Um, you've done um, retreat work in parishes. You're doing a lot of writing now. How is it that you first became connected with Ignatian spirituality? I know was it was it through your and you did a degree program at um, Loyola University in New Orleans, and then you were at Spring Hill. Was that the initial contact with with the Jesuits? Um, no. The initial contact with Ignatian spirituality came through the Sisters of St. Joseph of Maidai, the, the, the branch of the Sisters of St. Joseph that their founder is uh, Father Maidai, who is a Jesuit. And so they educated me K through 12 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And without really having language that it was Ignatian spirituality, I was exposed to Ignatian spirituality throughout my entire childhood and high school. And especially at my high school, St. Joseph's Academy in Baton Rouge, that, you know, the religion courses, our retreats, the peer ministry programs were all founded. You know, they really had Ignatian spirituality as their base in the sense of the sister's spirituality is so intertwined with Ignatian spirituality. So that was where I was exposed to it. And I was exposed to contemplative prayer practices and all as a high school student. And then 
I would say probably in college when I worked with my first spiritual director when I was 20, she was a sister of St. Joseph, but she was the one that really helped me name and articulate that this is, this has a Mm -hmm. name. And then from there, you know, it kind of just grew, you know, it became this spirituality that began guiding my life in my early twenties. And then when I started working at the Diocese of Baton Rouge is when I started my degree program, my master's program at Loyola in New Orleans through the LEM program. And then simultaneously, when I was working for the Diocese of Baton Rouge, we were starting a young adult ministry program in Baton Rouge because I was one of the only employees under the age of 40, right? And we were looking at best practices around the country. And that's when I just picked up the phone and I'd heard of Karis and I called Chicago, the office in Chicago and said, hey, is there any chance we could bring this down to Baton Rouge? And we did. And I worked with Janine Francis. And and so when I started actually doing ministry work based in Ignatian spirituality is really when I feel like I found my professional home. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, just that work of just helping people deepen in their relationship with God using the tools of Ignatian spirituality, which, I mean, which is ultimately what Karis Ministries does, you know, through the retreats is arming young adults with Ignatian tools. So you've, you've really been in ministry since the beginning. Yes. I mean, I really, 17 years old is when I started ministry as a peer minister at my high school. What was the spark? Because, I mean, you, you know, the fact that you've ministered to young adults for so long and yeah. You were a young adult doing ministry. What was that spark? Was it was it the the sisters? Was it the you know naming it as Ignatian spirituality? Yeah, I always say, and you know, and I wrote about this in the book I'm writing. Their junior year was a huge moment for me that had a combination of confirmation and there was a guy I was dating and a teacher that told me. I missed the boat. Like we were in a morality class and I was trying to defend my beliefs and I couldn't, every time I would say something, she would turn to me and say, you've missed the boat. You only believe that because your mom and dad believe it. And I don't like being told that I can't, like that kind of rubs me, right? I don't want anybody telling me I can't defend what I believe. And so that sparked me on my faith journey. And then I think the ministry love just came from, as I was growing and becoming passionate about my faith, I wanted to share it with others. And so I feel, you know, my parents laid a solid foundation for my faith. And then the Sisters of St. Joseph fostered that tremendously through our schools. And And I think part of the Sisters' spirit is, like, their charism is being one with dear neighbor, right? So there was always this element of whatever you do, do it's not just for you like it's not just about me it's not just about a selfish kind of inward spirituality there was always an outward piece to it and I and that was learned by osmosis almost you know throughout (laughs) elementary and high school Hmm. you're going to be giving a talk at the Ignatian spirituality conference in July in St. Louis uh, about young adults and silence and the theme of the conference is silence um, I think, I think we have this mentality that young adults are anything but silent, and um, you know, with extremely short attention spans. I was actually this morning I was speaking with a Jesuit friend of mine who teaches high school, and he was talking about how there's this expectation that 
um, you can't just lecture, right? You, you, you need to cater to their, to their attention spans. You know, um, th this is the generation that watches YouTube videos and, you know, there's something happening like every, every 10 seconds, Five, you know, yeah. what do you, what do you say to that without giving your whole talk? <laughs> you yeah, know, what yeah. is your experience of young adults in silence? One is there is a hesitation and a resistance towards silence right? I mean, I experience it. I'm sure you, at times you experience it. People, yeah, because we're so connected. We're always on, you know, and while technology brings so many gifts, so many gifts to this world, I do think it, it even in terms of work, for instance, people now bring their work home in a way that they haven't before. You know, I mean, I watch it with my own husband who's on his phone, having to check email kind of way beyond the five o'clock hour, you know? Um, so we care. So there is, there's a resistance because it's so counter to how we live. And then I think the other thing is we're, we resist it because we don't know what to do with the silence. How do we hold the, how do we hold the silence? What do we do with the silence? And then there's always that resistance as we've read, you know, many spiritual writers talk about, being resistant to the silence because of the, what shows up, you know, when we're quiet, we end up having to face things that we don't necessarily want to face. You know, um, I was reading a book on by father, uh, Ron Rollheiser recently on prayer. And he talked about, you know, when we are in silence, we are in desert, our desert to a degree, you know, we're retreating away and we're going to meet our Satan. Like we're going to meet our demons. We're going to run into these things that we don't necessarily want. So I think, the way our world is structured and just the fact that we're not, we don't know what to do with the silence and what we are afraid that we're going to meet in the silence makes us hesitant towards it. Right. That being said, I think more than ever, we as church and we as people ministering the church, we have to help teach people how to embrace that silence. Right. And, you know, I'm a mom, I have kids in elementary school and I talk to my like parents on the sidelines of like, you know, soccer games and birthday parties and all these things. And there's this element of, we are so busy. Like, I feel like I can't get off the merry-go-round. Um, I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel and what we, our gift that we have as church and we, our gift we have in the realm of Ignatian spirituality, for instance, is we can offer, offer people a way to pause and to pray and to connect with God so that God can feed the rest of our lives and that God can guide and root. So there's such a need. And so I think we as anybody that's ministering in the realm of spirituality and prayer work is one of our top tools. I mean, the things we have to do is arm people with tools, you know, help them know how do you engage with the silence? How do I sit in the silence? What do I do with that time? Um, and I can't tell you how many people I work with in spiritual direction that have showed up terrified saying, I can't sit five minutes in silence. And as we work through kind of a plan, right, that works for them, that they can find the time in their life, the space in their life, you know, they put an intentionality and a discipline behind wanting to come to prayer within months. They're, they're going, Oh, I'm, I'm going 30 minutes in silence. I'm holding, you know, this time and space for God. Um, but we're resistant to it. 
right? I mean, and I think that's young adults and people of all ages, right. <laughs> you know, all adults are. Um, but it's, I think the thing that we have to do is just walk. That's why I love spiritual direction because you're walking with people and helping them figure out how is God inviting me to be with God, right? How is, what is God's invitation to me within the reality of my life to be with God? You, you talked about tools that people, people do love tools. And I think that's some of the success of, you know, um, a lot of the audio meditations I do, and, and people love that because it's a it's a tool that really aids in prayer and aids in your relationship with God. Have you found that there's a particular tool of um, Ignatian spirituality that's especially helpful to young adults? Well, you know, I have a little love for the examine, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the examine is a great starting point, and it's one of the tools that I definitely offer people um, when they're first kind of coming to me for spiritual direction of what's so great about the examine is I think it teaches you to pray your life, right? And it teaches you to bring your entire life before God. And, and instead of life being separated into our spiritual lives and our the rest of life, we're saying we're going to bring all of our life, all of our relationships, our work, everything that we've done during the day and we're going to bring it before God and at, you know and and let God help us review that and say all right God am I doing what I'm supposed to in my professional life um, am I living a life of faith in my relationships in my friendships in my marriage in my uh, dating relationships and everything um, in my parenting you know I bring that I bring my parenting before God all the time and so I think the examine is helpful because one it's got five steps to it, right? Which is very easy and doable and logical in the sense of going, this is where I start. This is kind of where I end. And I think that just kind of simple structure is very helpful um, to young adults that are overly connected and have so much coming their way to be able to disconnect briefly and pause and go through five steps reviewing their day um, and bringing God into their day is is very helpful. But it's hard, though, isn't it, too, at the same time? Because, I mean, I've, I even struggle with, um, yeah, it, it's simple, yet you got to still make time for it. And, yeah. I mean, one of my Lenten practices was before bed every night, I'm going to do the exam, and I'm going to make it a habit. Yeah, how do you how do you do that? How, how do you uh, make it a habit? Even that's something that's so simple, right, that Ignatius said if there's— if you don't pray any other prayer, pray the examine. That's the most important. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, and he says that, and yet I find the examine finds me when I need it, right? And I mean, I get, I'm, there's always help in having an intentionality behind prayer and a discipline. I also have found through many, many seasons of prayer life that there are times that the examine is not the prayer for me, right? It's not, um, as much, and I get, I know why Ignatius puts the value on it. And I think that we do. I mean, just like anything that we're doing with um, that's meaningful, we, we have to make the time for it. Just like we would an exercise program or, um, you know, if there's some new, something that we're wanting to, a routine, for instance, that we want to establish in our kids' lives, for instance, as a, as a young mom. You know, you have to just kind of be very intentional and committed to it. Um, but then I also think that we have to have, we have to give God the freedom 
that sometimes there's another prayer method for us that he, in, in a way that he's inviting us to be with him that might not be, you know, whatever. I mean, and we could name a million prayer tools, you know, so sometimes I want to cling to a prayer method because it's the one I know, right? And it's mm. the one I'm comfortable with. Yeah, it's uh, it's true that, you know, God, uh, God, <laughs> Ignatius says God works directly with each one of the us. Creature. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Creator works with the creature in a unique way. And so that may mean that, you know, your, your prayer is going to be different than mine. And, you know, what yeah. prayer methods effective for you, a different one might be more effective for me. And it might yeah. change, you know, and five years later, uh, another prayer method is, is more, you know, valuable for me. Yeah. But like in a season of discerning, for instance, you know, um, as, as I know you and I are both living in a season of discernment right now, um, I think the examine is such a powerful tool, you know, I mean, because the examine helps us again, it's like, the, it's reviewing our day with God, you know, I mean, I always, I think of the examine as, you know, my kids and I have put puzzles together and sometimes multiple puzzles at a time. And, you know, this one time my daughter and I picked them all up, we were carrying to put them away and they spilt all over the place. And so she and I were sitting next to each other, sorting the puzzle pieces out. And we were looking at them and going, Oh, is this one go in this box? Oh, does this one belong? And like, that is how I imagine the examine, like Jesus sitting with us, Hmm. picking up the pieces of our life. And together we're looking at them and saying, this is, this is what I'm noticing about this is what I noticed about myself. Jesus is saying, this is what I'm noticing about you. Hey, this is helping you grow in your relationship with God. Hey, it's not, maybe this one's not, maybe this relationship is, maybe this relationship's not. So in a time of discernment, that's where the examine is so helpful because you can pick up these pieces of your life that you're trying to make a choice about and sit with God and talk to God and have God kind of help you weigh out and say, this is what I'm noticing. You know, I mean, the examine to me is such a prayer of noticing. I learned the examine in a silent retreat after Hurricane Katrina. That's where I, like, I mean, I, I live, I'm from Baton Rouge. I was working for the diocese when Hurricane Katrina hit. And lots of family, family members were really affected. Suffering of people I loved and people I didn't know was everywhere. You know, I worked at the diocese, Catholic charities is right across the parking lot from my office. And so we had people coming in constantly. Um, and people were asking me, where is God in all this? You know, I couldn't, name, I was struggling to name it myself because there was so much suffering. And when I went on a silent retreat, Father Matt Lynn led the retreat. He's a Jesuit. He taught us the examine. Like he sent something in us that we needed. He, he, I don't know if he really intended to teach it to us or not, but he taught us the examine. It was a bunch of women. We were on the, a retreat house on the shores of Lake Pontchartrain, right? That had been completely affected by the storm. And he, that was the first time when I learned the examine that I was able to actually name God in the middle of all of the suffering and pain. And I was able to name God and people like my sister-in-law who was a nurse down in New Orleans during the storm and like her efforts and the way that I just saw God working through all people. So I think the examine, the examine to me has its place in our prayer journey. And I, I come back to it. That's why I say the examine finds me when I need to pray the examine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and walking with others, I find that the examine finds people 
when it's time, when it's, when that's the prayer method that they need to be holding, kind of holding on to and letting, letting that guide their relationship with God at that moment. I really like the image of the, the puzzle pieces of that. It's a great image of the exam and sort of sifting through the pieces of your life. Do you ever do the examine with your children? Yeah. So we do do the examine with our kids. The way we do it, we don't actually, we haven't quite named it the examine to them yet. Um, but this, a friend of mine who's a Lutheran pastor actually taught me this method of praying the examine with their kids. So the way we do it is somebody will start off, you know, like let's say my eight-year-old son starts off and he will name the highs of his day and the lows of his day, you know, or maybe the language might be, you know, what are you thankful for? What do you want to thank God for today? What do you you know, what did you just kind of not like about your day <laughs> that you want to talk to God about? And then the next person, whoever's sitting next to him, will then offer a prayer for him and like whatever he prayed about. And then the person that offered the prayer then shares their highs and lows. Um, our hope, though, is while we teach them all of the remote prayers and the, you know, I, again, I want my kids armed with an arsenal of prayer tools. Like that's one of my goals as mom and, you know, and Chris and I together, that's one of our goals is that our children, when they get, when they are away from us, that they have a wide variety of prayer tools to lean on. Um, so, but our hope with the examine is that they can, they can bring God into their daily life and realize that they can turn to God and thank God for all the gifts of the day and also turn to God and the things that in an eight-year-old and five-year-old's world they struggle with. It's a really, it's, it's probably the one my kids pick to pray the most. That's great. Moving forward a little bit in the age back to sort of young adults. Um, have you, have you found, because, you know, you offer spiritual direction, I'm sure to a number of people. Um, I'm not sure if there are any young adults that are part of your yeah. um, part of that ministry, but uh, have you found that young adults approach spirituality differently or drastically differently than those who are older or middle aged? Not really. I mean, I think the driving factor for people, no matter what age they are, is they want to go deeper in their relationship with God. You know, I, I find that typically people show up for spiritual direction because whatever they've been doing in terms of their discipline of faith and prayer has gotten them to a point and they want to go deeper. So mm. that to me is common across the 20-year-olds I work with, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, and I, there's a couple of 60-year-olds. But then I think where I notice a different, it's, it's the questions or the things that are kind of arising right? Um, especially around discernment, like what, what young adults are discerning and trying and asking, what is God's will for me is a, is a very different question. I think than you know, somebody in their sixties who's close to retirement age. Um, so some of it is, I mean, I think really the, that's the, the difference, you know, is, um, what questions are they bringing before God and how, how are they called or how are they, um, how do they live their faith life in light of the circumstances of their life? Right. So, um, um, somebody that's some parent, for instance, that's sitting with me for spirit, like, and we're talking and meeting for spiritual direction, you know, 
they're discerning how do I pray and have a relationship with God within I've got all these little people or older people that are in need of my time. Um, but then like a single person is asking questions very differently, you know, about their prayer life and what they're discerning and things. Um, so, so some of it I think is more about the life circumstances. And I think when you look at young adults, which the bishops target is 18 to 39, I mean, that is a slew of life circumstances. I mean, you've got single, you know, in college, out of college, working, discerning work. You've got married. You've got divorced. You have some widowed. You have parents, not parents. You have people, couples trying to get pregnant. They can't get pregnant. I mean, you have so many life circumstances um, that happen in that 18 to 39 age range that, you know, the bishops classify young adults as. It's a huge range. You know, I, I read something recently where young adults, you know, a 30 year old said, I'm not, I'm an adult, call me an adult. You know, I'm not a young yeah. adult anymore. You know, perhaps that, perhaps that age is earlier. Maybe we need to sort of narrow our understanding of that. And because as you said, like life circumstances, you have to minister to those people differently. Yeah, I do. I mean, and, you know, I've had conversations with other people nationally involved in young adult ministry across the country and about the title. And, you know, I'm not always 100% sold that young adults is the best way to classify us. And, you know, and let's talk about discernment. I, I would assume that those you meet who are even in their 60s, discernment, and it's certainly Ignatian style of discernment, is probably very new to them, even, yeah. even at that age, right? Yeah. I mean, and often the ones, the men and women that are, you know, in their, let's say, 50s and 60s that I meet with, they're saying, where was this? Like, why didn't I know this or learn these discernment tools when I was in my 20s or 30s? And that's where I just feel so thankful. I feel so thankful that somebody took the time and many, many people took the time to teach me Ignatius's discernment tools and his wisdom of how you discern and how do you notice the movements of the spirit and consolation, desolation. And, um, that to me has been, I mean, cause it's, it's truly how I have discerned the many, many huge decisions that Chris and I have had to make, you know, is married life for me or was I briefly discerned, you know, do I want to be a nun? <laughs> Um, I was going to ask you about that, if that, if that had come yeah, up, you know, that, it did. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, no, I definitely discerned that briefly, but always knew deep down that my deepest desire was to be married and especially to be a mom. Like I always knew that that was the core of, I, I don't want to say the core of who I am, the God's the core of who I am, but that was a big piece of my call and who I am. So, um, yeah, so that discernment to me is, we, we all need that. And we're all, I mean, and the whole thing to me about discerning is what is God's next right step for me? And we all, no matter what age, no matter what life circumstance we're living through, want to know that. What is God's next right step for me? You know, what is God's will for me? So how, how did that change when you got married now that you're, you know, having to discern with another person with Chris? Yes. Uh, yes. That's such an interesting topic. I think because then, so discernment then became what is God's next right step for me? What is God's right next step for Chris? And what is our next right step? How, how does all that fit in together as a family? And um, it's, it's an interesting balance, you know, because Chris 
does his work in prayer and his work with his spiritual director and I do my work in prayer and work with spiritual director and then we have to talk about it. And I think sometimes that's where a tool like the examine, here we are again talking about the examine, mm-hmm. <laughs> is helpful. And Chris and I don't necessarily sit down and pray the five steps together, but what we more do is individually pray it and then come together and dialogue about what are we noticing, you know, um, from our prayer, from our conversation with our spiritual directors, from just, you know, our own conversations, where are we, we, I mean, I always boil it down to where we always say, where do we notice an increase of faith, hope, and love? And where do we have a decrease of faith, hope, and love? Consolation and desolation. Which is, also, yeah. And, you know, and sometimes those words are big and scary to people. Mm-hmm. So I don't always label them as such mm-hmm. when I'm first working with somebody. But uh, that's how Chris and I go about making decisions. You know, and you mentioned spiritual direction. And for for me and for my wife, for, uh, you know, spiritual direction is really important for both of us. Yes. And we'll always, you know, w- once we have direction, we'll, we'll always tell each other, you know, how what how it was and, uh, yeah. and what the fruits that came from it. And it's really been beneficial to to our relationship. Um, and we actually just, Sarah and I just recently gave uh, a talk uh, to some undergrad students um, on prayer in relationships and how prayer is is this sort of concrete, you know, this sort of glue that holds holds the relationship together as well. Yeah. Yes, I, I 100% agree. I mean, because I think I've worked, I, I have personally had a spiritual director for, oh, gosh, almost 15 years now. And I mean, not the same one because life changes and city, different cities, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you because I think both on the receiving end of spiritual direction and on the getting to sit in the other chair, right, and listen to other people's prayer. Where else in life do you get a chance to deeply share about your prayer life, you know, and really have somebody whose sole purpose is to help you grow in God? I mean, that's, I mean, that's amazing, you know? I mean, that has been the gift of a spiritual director in my life. It's somebody who's, who just cares about helping me grow in God and helps, is, cares about getting rid of anything that's going to get in the way of me growing in God. Um, I mean, and, and in the ministry of spiritual direction, I pinch myself all the time and go, God, did you really, like, are you really gifting me with this to witness up close the work that you do in people's lives? It's unbelievable. You know, when people will leave, um, I, I do spiritual direction in my house, um, and they'll leave, walk out my front door, and I think, how is it that God allows me to witness God's work this close? And what he does in other people—it's unbelievable. What would you say to someone who's thought about spiritual direction, but maybe they say, "Well, you know, I have good friendships, or I have good relationship. I have people who I can process uh, things with, who I could talk openly about my prayer." Why a spiritual director? What is the what's the added benefit? A, I think a spiritual director is trained to listen in a way that we don't naturally listen in the realm of friendships. You know, um, a friend, even a dear friend who's a great listener, I think is still at some point going to kind of share our thoughts and our opinions, you know. And I think a a spiritual director's role is truly that of a holy listener. And 
there's many times as I'm listening to somebody else, uh, and I know because my one of my some of my directors have shared the same thing. Like, there's times you want to throw in your two cents, you know, and you want to maybe share your opinion or your story. But the gift is the listening piece, you know. The gift is the deeping, the listening, and then the asking the questions to help the other person discern what God is saying to them. Um, and so I think that our friends are key pieces, right, in helping us grow in God and our support system and our humanity. We need friends. Jesus had friends, you know. Um, and friendships serve their place and are so good and holy and everything. And spiritual direction just in general helps us grow deeper. You're doing a lot of writing lately, and there are a lot of different um, places that you write. Uh, but tell tell us a little bit about what your book is going to be about, and um, you know what that process is like. Yeah, so the book is on prayer. Um, it's you know the working title right now I have is you know everything is holy now and. The, the whole premise of the book is to encourage other people to create space for prayer in their life and to create space to connect faith and life. Um, and it also talks about the transforming power of prayer and kind of personally what has been my, my journey of prayer, you know, having learned some contemplative kind of prayer practices and ways of praying in daily life in my high school years and kind of applying that through the last several, you know, over two, almost two decades of my life. Ultimately, the way we are with God, like our being with God really impacts our doing, you know, and as we continue to pray in our daily life, I mean, it's, it's the Ignatian idea of being a contemplative in action, you know, and the, the fact of the matter is we can bring, by coming to God and bringing all of our life before God, that then allows God to direct and, and guide what we do with our lives. And I'm sure you've included the examine in your book. Yes, I have. <laughs> I did. Actually, the story of the puzzle I was sharing is in there, and I talk about how I learned the examine. Becky, thank you so much for taking the time to, um, to share uh, you know, your own insights and love of Ignatian spirituality. You are welcome. Thanks for the invitation. It's always fun to collaborate with you. To learn more about Becky's ministry, you can visit her website at beckyeldridge.com. And if you're interested in finding a spiritual director, there's a link on the post that companions this podcast at godinallthings.com where you can locate spiritual directors near you.